you know, if you don't have the time to to, to go around and, and and find great reinsurance managers or litigation managers or correlation managers or crypto arbitrage managers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you can always do a cockroach portfolio, right? Because it's designed for dummies uh, and it will, I think, outperform pretty much all other balanced portfolios for the cost of an annual rebalance, which is not very much. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with fund manager Dylan Grice. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Dylan, in which he explains why, despite his conviction that the current central bank intervention will ultimately end poorly, he remains reluctantly bullish that asset prices will move higher from here. Then head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment perspective that Dylan and our partners at New Harbor Financial share in this video. Oh, and if you haven't yet, don't forget to support this channel by first liking this video and then clicking the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Believe it or not, these tiny steps really do help us out. Okay, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Dylan Grice. Given all the challenges and, and the smoke and everything that we're talking about here, uh, given how hot the, the central banks are cranking up the heat in the oven, um, how are you allocating capital right now in this environment? What, what does look good or at least good enough to you right now? Well, I should, you know, you know, I should kind of give you a little bit of a health warning um, because we, we actually thought long and hard about my, my partner and I at Calderwood, um, you know, about how we were going to answer the question that I, I think, you know, we've been asking ourselves for years and certainly when I was, you know, kind of helping to run the family office, we, you know, we were talking about, you know, joining the family office, I think in 2013 and it was just a constant conversation until I left, you know, uh, a couple of years ago. And 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 that, that problem we were trying to solve was 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 this, you know, how do we allocate in a zero yield world? Where do we get returns from, right? Um, how do we take return? How do we get returns which are not really jeopardized by a blow up in the bond market, right? Because that's the kind of I think that that's the We've had a kind of, you know, a back and forth about inflation and a back and forth about the, the dangers of central banking and et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, but, but really, a much easier question to answer is, listen, do you want to be invested in government bonds right now? <laughs> right? Because if the answer is, well, not really, you know, well, why not? Well, because they don't pay me anything. You know, there's an awful lot of downside and not much upside. So I, that's not very attractive, right? If that's your answer, where do you go? Because ultimately, it's all about duration. You know, the, the main asset classes are duration asset classes, whether they're government bonds or corporate bonds or um, uh, equities in the public market, private equity, venture equity, pretty much everything that's done really well over the last, you know, 40 years. It's all been a duration trade, right? It's all done so well because duration has gone, yields have gone from 20% to 0%. So you ask yourself a question about what happens to those markets if yields go back up to 20%? And that's not a forecast, right? It's more like a stress test, right? It's not a forecast. You say, look, they're at zero. They were, you know, in the past, they've been at 20%. They can go up to 20%. And again, that doesn't happen next year or the year after. But suppose we end when, you know, we've just had a, a bull market in, in, in interest rates. What happens if we enter up 
a bear market. And by that, I mean, you know, interest rates go to, you know, 5% in, in, in five years' time and 10% in 10 years' time you know, and 20% in 20 years' time. That kind of grinding, you know, increase in interest rates. Where, where does that leave us, right? Where does that leave your venture equity, right? The tied up for 10 years. Where does it leave your, your private equity? Where does it leave your public equity? Where does it leave your, your bond markets? Where does it leave your fixed income? The answer is, I think it probably leaves it in the gutter, right? And so we said, well, how do we put together a portfolio that doesn't have any of this stuff in it? Um, and that leads you away from equities and it leads you away from fixed income and it leads you away from private equity and venture and, and all, all of this kind of stuff. And the thing is, if you take that stuff out of the equation, it doesn't leave you with much. Right. <laughs> so, so our fund is um, our, our kind of investment activities tend to focus on stuff that's frankly quite kind of niche and, and esoteric. Um, and you know, the the, the, the the we have lots. There are lots of advantages with doing that. Firstly, it's just much more interesting. You meet more interesting people. Um, it's much more entrepreneurial. Secondly, it's far typically it's far less crowded because people will look at something like you know, cryptocurrency arbitrage and say, oh, I'm not touching that, I'm not, I'm not doing that. With, with good reason, because you, you should never do anything you, you don't understand. But people think that something which is unfamiliar is, you know, necessarily risky. And our kind of view is that if something is unfamiliar, it just means you need to familiarise yourself with it. And once you familiarise yourself with it, then you can judge whether or not it's risky. And sometimes it is, so you, you don't have to do it. Right, but sometimes it isn't. You're like, okay, yeah, this actually makes perfect sense, right? And so that's kind of, you know, we kind of poke around in the kind of darker corners of the of, of financial markets to try and get um, kind of um, kind of un uncorrelated orthogonal exposures that um, that you know don't have any duration, really, don't have any kind of fixed income. Uh, components. So we don't do, we certainly don't do government bonds or, or, or anything like that. But we, you know, we don't do equity, we don't do quasi equity. And um, so we, I mean, we allocate to other managers, I should say, right? So we, you know, we're a fund of funds. So we, we don't do like our own cryptocurrency arbitrage, right? We, we don't know how to do that, but we know people who do. We don't underwrite catastrophe risk because that's not a thing, but we know people who do know how to do that, right? Um, we don't fund litigation claims because, you know, we wouldn't really know where to start. But we know people who do know how to, to do that. So, you know, we, we put all of these kind of things into a, a portfolio, you know, in their appropriate kind of size. And what that does is give you something that is actually quite a kind of stable return, that not sitting on this duration time bomb. So that that's kind of how we went about solving the problem. Oh, that's really fascinating. So you've, you've really kind of, you know, at least for the average investor, um, one of the claims I've made often is, is one of the more nefarious elements of today's market environment is it, it doesn't give people much of an opportunity to just sort of not play the game at the casino if they don't want to, um, because all assets yeah. are being impacted in general, at least all mainstream assets are being impacted by the, yeah. the trends we were just talking about. You've seems you've sort of found a way to sort of not play their game and find yes. these alternative sort of niche um, investments that you can put together into a portfolio that doesn't have the duration risk that you were talking about. Um, and I'm assuming probably has less correlation with the standard financial assets than a conventional portfolio. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, no, absolutely. We, we, we don't really, um, I mean, we, have, we don't have any correlation to, um, uh, to, to basically financial markets, you know. 
Um, uh, you know, we, yeah, having no correlation doesn't mean negative correlation, all right? So just statistically, you know, the market can go down and your portfolio can go down at the same time, just because that, that's just the rub of the green. And the same way that the market can go up and, and, and we can go up at the same time. But in terms of the big episode, you know, we, we take, we're taking a lot of um, uh, highly idiosyncratic risks. Right. So, for example, this, you know, Hurricane um, uh, Ida um, is something that we've been watching very closely. Right. Because we have quite a big allocation to um, uh, to catastrophe. Right. Um, uh, and if a Cat 5 hurricane actually went right through the center of Miami, it would hit our portfolio. Right. You know, we would we, we would take a hit on that. Right. I think that over how big a hit would we take? I think maximum hit probably 20%, which would, be, which would be a big hit. That would be a bad year, right? That's the kind of tails that we have, right? More likely 10 or 15, an environment like that. But that's going to let you do with a financial market crash, right? Um, uh, we don't really have that particular tail, right? And the tail that we have with, our, for example, our, 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 our um, uh, reinsurance, um, it's actually well contained in the portfolio. Right, so it would be quite a bad year if something like that happens, a one in a hundred year event. It would be a bad year, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to pull us down. Not going to take out, take out the fund, yeah. It's not going to take out the fund. It can't take out the fund because it's it's actually very very contained. With a cryptocurrency arbitrage, if one of the very big exchanges goes down, that's also that could that could create problems, right? That could, right? so you know we have you know, and I, again, I could bore you the details, but we have a lot of idiosyncratic risk. We, we are taking tails, if you like. But the thing is, if you've got a 60-40 portfolio, your whole portfolio is a tail. Your whole portfolio is the equity market, right? It's the equity market tail, right? And so that's what we kind of just didn't want to do. We just don't want to do it. And anyway, why does anyone need us to do that for them? Because everyone's got that anyway, right? So that was, that was our approach to, to, to thinking about the problem, really. All right. Well, last question around portfolio allocation. Um, you've written uh, earlier um, about, uh, I, I think, um, having a favorable opinion of gold. I think I saw one writing of yours that, that suggested that people might want to have as much as 25% of their portfolio in gold. Um, not asking you to necessarily endorse whether something, you know, percentage that large is still the right thing to do or not, but just curious, you know, gold sounds like the type of thing that might find its way into the current portfolio you were talking about, where it, it, it doesn't have a lot of the, the other um, concerns that, that you had about government and private bonds and yeah equity markets yeah. or whatnot so i guess short question is is what's your opinion of gold right now yeah listen I, I i you know we own gold i own it privately we don't have it in the fund but you know i, I own gold for probably reasons you can imagine the the um the the suggestion of a 25 percent allocation to gold really came out of um what uh, what i wrote about you know several years ago when i was at, at salt gen um and I, I called it the cockroach portfolio um, uh, and that was really just a, 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 an equal allocation between real assets and nominal assets um, and um, duration assets and zero duration assets, right? So if you've got gold, which is real um, and zero duration, you, and you'd have cash, which is real, which is nominal, sorry, but has zero duration. And then you've got nominal bonds, another 25%, which is, which is a nominal asset with duration, 
um, and you've got equities, which is a real asset with duration. And really, with a very, very simple allocation, you kind of, at any point in time, something will be hurting you and something will be benefiting. One part of the portfolio will be doing well, one part of the portfolio um, will be doing badly. On balance, it all nets out and you make a decent return, right? And the reason I call it a cockroach is because cockroaches are very, very, you know, very, very successful species. I think they've been around for about um, 300 million years. Um, uh, but they're pretty dumb, right? They don't know anything, right? They don't have iPhones or edible underwear or, or any of that kind of stuff, right? Um, uh, but they survive. Well, edible underwear made its way into that, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but, but they, they don't, you know, they're, they're very, very, very dumb, but they survive. And so the cockroach portfolio was designed to be very, very dumb. Right? It doesn't take a view on inflation or deflation, duration, non-duration. It just says, I'll just have a little bit of everything and just gather the kind of risk premium over time. And that portfolio has historically done very, very well. And, and so the 25% allocation to gold, is that's where that came from. And I think in answer to your question earlier, practically, what would you do about this? You know, if you don't have the time to, to, to go around and, and, and find great reinsurance managers or litigation managers or correlation managers or crypto arbitrage managers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you can always do a cockroach portfolio, right? Because it's designed for dummies uh, and it will, I think, outperform pretty much all other balanced portfolios for the cost of an annual rebalance, which is not very much, right? So I think gold has a role to play in that. I think gold has a role to play in, 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 in all portfolios you know, because you just, yeah, because you never, you never really know. That's why we own it. Um, yeah, that answers your question. Well, it does. And it, it, I think it mostly answers the last question I was going to ask you here, which is just what sort of general advice would you have for the viewers of this video? Most of whom, who I think are concerned about a lot of the issues we talked about here. Um, they, I, I will say maybe where they differ from you a little bit is um, I, I think they, the average person does worry a fair amount that um, at some point there is going to be a reckoning here and they don't want to be collateral damage if there is a material correction in the markets from you know these these high valuation levels right now. I know you just made an argument that they may go a lot higher for a lot longer than people can imagine. But anyways, what, what would your sort of parting advice be to that type of, of investor who's watching right now? Um, I think that own, own less equities. Just own less, but don't own none. Don't own no equities, right? Don't own zero. Don't have a zero allocation to equities. Have something, right? Um, absolutely diversify the portfolio in any way you can. But I, I think that, you know, you, you should, again, it's, it's, it's difficult to answer without knowing the specific circumstances of, of each person. But I, I kind of feel that equities are, are probably not such a dumb place to be. Um, you know, and if you're worried about an inflationary blow off, and I, I think that's equities, right? It is, it is equities. Um, so equities are a real asset, don't forget, right? Their earnings go up with inflation, right? Um, uh, the discount rate goes up with inflation. Net, net, they're like, the, the, you know, if you go and study inflation protected bonds, I think you have a much better understanding and how they, they react to changes in interest rates and changes in inflation expectations, you got a much better understanding of what drives equity valuation. And I think that you would get much more comfortable with owning equities. And um, if you're a real, if you're really worried about inflation, you know, rethink your equity um, uh, uh, exposure. Go and do the cockroach, you know, it's much easier. Right, be the cockroach. All right, well, Dylan, look, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time here. 
um, especially given that it's later in the day, your time there over in the UK. For folks that have enjoyed your commentary here and would like to learn more about you and follow you and your work, where can they go? Well, you can, I mean, you can kind of, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm not very active on Twitter, but I kind of keep an eye on it. So I'm not that quick to respond, but I do respond. Um, uh, uh, you can um, you go to the website, you know, www.coldwoodcapital.com and, and you can kind of have a poke around and, and see what we're up to. Um, and there's kind of contact information there. If you want to reach out to me, then, you know, you can you can find your way to me um, from, from, from either the website or on Twitter. Fantastic. Well, we'll put your Twitter handle and that website URL up on the screen when we edit uh, the video here. Um, all right, Dylan. Well, again, can't thank you enough for the time, for the wonderful discussion, and look forward to having you back on uh, this program at some point, maybe end of the year, beginning of next year, where we can kind of track where we are in this grand experiment. Fantastic. No, absolutely. Um, and it's been a real pleasure. I, I really, um, I really appreciate you um, uh, having me on the show. It's, um, it's very, um, very flattering and humbling. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. It's really been a pleasure, Dylan. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, this is the part of the program where I bring in the lead partners of New Harbor Financial, the financial advisory firm officially endorsed by Wealthion. Uh, this week, we've got John Loder. I think Mike is, uh, is off uh, visiting a client. Um, John, great to see you. Good to see you again, Adam. Thanks so much for having me again. Hey, no worries. All right. So, um, Really fascinating discussion there with Dylan Grice. Um, lots of really interesting concepts. Uh, he's a, clearly a, you know, a, a very big thinker. Um, I do think, I'm gonna predict that maybe you folks at New Harbor uh, see through a slightly different lens than he on some of the, the points we talked about. Obviously, huge points of commonality in terms of what's happening, you know, role of the central banks, their impact, um, you know, largely negative that they're having on markets, people being forced up the risk curve in ways that probably are not going to suit them uh, in the long run. Um, you know, Dylan seems to think uh, the music's gonna keep playing for a lot longer than maybe most folks realize, maybe maybe than you guys think it will, will, will uh, last. Um, and maybe seems a little bit more sanguine on the prospects for equities here generally than you guys do, but don't let me put words in your mouth. Um, what, what's your reaction to that conversation? Yeah, sure. Uh, so no, yeah, Dylan has a, a really interesting broad-based perspective. You know, I think he, he uh, shared. You know, I think his comments uh, spoke to his uh, his history as a as a trader, uh, a prop trader at, at, at different um, firms that he worked for, but also a little bit of philosophical. Uh, you know. Uh, banter about uh, government and power and uh, re really fascinating uh, range of comments. So I appreciate the, his perspectives there. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the, the degree to which we, we do share different perspectives, uh, and we do, um, quite frankly, um, it, it really gets into some really um, important nuances that, you know, I think maybe we didn't dive deeply enough into the conversation there. Uh, so I'd like to just maybe kind of call out a, call, call out a couple of those. You know, um, he, he um, he, he rightly points to the relationship between interest rates and valuations, you know, really stocks being, you know, valued relative to bonds. And he rightly points out that the real uh, egregious um, catalyst here is that the bond market is so horribly mispriced and it's horribly mispriced because central banks have gone in and printed money out of thin air to buy up funds with reckless abandon to the tune of, of billions of dollars, you know, many billions of dollars a month. And that's why the, Federal Reserve's balance sheet has ballooned from 800 billion in, in 2007 to over seven or 8 trillion. I've, I've kind of lost count, frankly, to, to where we are today. 
Um, so yeah, the bond market has been absolutely destroyed in terms of true price discovery. And as a result, the relative pricing of stocks have also been destroyed or distorted from what really uh, they should be valued at. And the kind of analogy I like to use is, um, you know, to say that the, the stock market is properly valued relative to bonds on a relative basis is to say something like, you know, a junky, you know, 1985 Honda Civic that's priced at $150,000 is, is, is fairly priced as compared to a similar vintage uh, Toyota Corolla of equal condition. Um, that, that's kind of the, you know, lunacy of, of, of kind of where things are. Um, you know, a couple of things. Um, you know, interest rates are an interesting. People, people oftentimes misuse or misunderstand how interest rates um, factor into valuations. It's, this is 101. This is finance 101. If you take a future stream of earnings for like a company or the stock market and discount those to a present value based upon current interest rates, you get a, a value, a present value as to what that those future interest, those future earnings streams should be valued at today. So if you're using a very low interest rate, yeah, the, the value today is going to be a higher than otherwise would, would be the case present value. But what people misconstrue is that the returns in the rearview mirror that uh, are resulting from that distortedly higher present value, um, they've been stolen from into the future. The, to assume that those, those rearward looking returns are gonna continue into the future is absolutely a mis misunderstanding. Because you know, to say that stocks are, are fairly valued today, you, you would also have to say that future returns on stocks are likely to be much more, much lower than than historically they have been. Um, to to not to not agree with that is is a is a fundamental um, um, error in understanding how interest rates. To put it to put it another way, if if I know what the the price of the stock market is today, or the price of a given stock, and I project what the earnings of the stock market or that stock are going to be over the next ten years, which is what Wall Street analysts do all the time, and they have a horrible track record. They usually get it really wrong. Um, interest rates don't even factor into that equation as to what the, the, the future return will be. That's a simple uh, uh, internal rate of return calculation. Again, finance 101, it's independent of interest rates. You know the current value, the starting value and the future you know, earning stream over the next decade. I can tell you what the rate of return is gonna be without knowing what the interest rate is. So there's a big misconception that you know, low interest rates means you know, perpetually higher returns. That, that's a, a, you know, some, so, so it really gets to the question of, um, you know, if you're going to be allocated to stocks modestly or heavily, you know, to, to assume anything like the, the returns over the last decade would be a complete and utterly uh, misguided assumption to make. You know, think about low to no or even negative returns because the market has overshot, uh, as the data will tell you, where even low interest rates suggest this market should be valued. Um, Long-winded comments there, but that's, that's a really key point that I think... Uh, Investors uh, have to have to understand. And I want to make one more comment. Uh, he he uh, he he referred to you know the market, you know it's, it'll be fun while it lasts. Kind of reminiscent of the, you know Charles Chuck Prince uh, you know comments in the in the late stages of the tech bubble that you know we got to dance while the you know while the music's playing or or you know musical chairs. Um, that's a cute thing to think about. It's not so cute to folks who are are you know trying to be careful with their life's earnings, the only earnings they'll ever have and the only retirement security that they'll ever have to kind of, you know, flippantly kind of 
you know, think about it as a game to have fun while it lasts is really, um, I think, putting the blinders on as to the, the likely carnage that uh, could and, and likely will um, occur from these lofty levels. So I'll pause there, Adam. Okay. Um, and, and just to be clear, I, 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 uh, I totally get your point there. Um, I, I don't think Dylan was trying to be disrespectful of the individual investors uh, skin in this game there, but uh, but I, I I agree that anything you know that sort of smacks of that Chuck Prince you know uh, get a dance while the music's still playing. Um, I, I think one of the things that that's so again nefarious about the current market conditions is a lot of people are out there on the dance floor dancing, but they 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 feel like they're having to do so at gunpoint, where they'd really rather be you know leaving, going home, you know, watching Netflix, whatever, but because they have to get some return in this zero interest rate world, uh, or rock bottom low interest rate world, um, they find themselves out there doing these things that feel very unnatural and make them feel very vulnerable and exposed. Um, I, I do also just want to point out too, John, you know, on, on this program in the past, um, we have trotted out lots of charts. I think you even have a few here you're about to show. Uh, but charts like the one from John Hussman, you know, that show that if you look at uh, the, the returns that we've had over the past decade, uh, how outsized they've been and, and where valuations are now, uh, we're looking at negative returns for the next decade. I think the latest chart we showed was like negative 6% return annualized over the next 12 years, right? Um, so I just want to mention that the today's Wall Street Journal actually features an article um, which uh, basically says, and I'm quoting here, uh, investors buying stocks, no matter what, shouldn't fool themselves that the future will deliver the chunky returns of the past decade, uh, which is basically making the same argument that you just made there, John. And I just wanted to highlight it to say, you know, it's not just us in our corner of, of the internet. It's not just guys like John Hussman, um, who are still kind of, despite his brilliance, you know, sort of pushed to the side a sort of niche, you know, now it is kind of beginning to creep into the mainstream where even the cheerleaders at the Wall Street Journal are saying, whoa, hey, we, we got to start being realistic about this. So I'll hand it back to you, John, because I know you had some data you wanted to walk through. Yeah, so actually one chart I want to call to attention, you know, maybe you can flash it up here is, um, and I sent you this uh, several days, it was a chart put together by uh, 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 Tavi Costa from Crescat Capital. And it's uh, basically a chart going back to the early 1900s. Um, and it's a chart of what's called the um, five-year adjusted earnings yield on the S&P 500. Now the earnings yield is simply the inverse of price to earnings ratio. If you take the PE ratio of the S&P and invert it, it's basically taking the, the um, earnings, dividing it by the price. And you know, folks oftentimes use this, and, and this is getting back to the relative valuations of stocks compared to bonds. Folks will oftentimes use this as a shorthand way to say, are stocks under or overvalued or fairly valued relative to bonds? And again, I've already talked about how the relative valuation of stocks and bonds is kind of ludicrous because of how bonds are distorted. But this chart shows that going back, um, so right now the, the five-year cyclically adjusted earnings yield on, on that series is about 2.83%, uh, 2.8, I'm sorry, 2.8%. And if you go back in this long history of, of data back to the early 1900s, the only other times in history where these levels were kind of uh, approached, and a low earnings yield basically is equivalent with a very high price stock market, just like a high PE ratio is, is you know, because it's the inverse of a PE ratio. The only other times in history where this earnings yield 
has approached where we are now is the tech bubble, the very top of the tech bubble in 2000, uh, the 1937 stock market peak, and the 1929 stock market peak uh, right before the Great Depression. And this, this chart, chart shows you what the, what the subsequent returns over one, two, three, and five year period were in each of those instances. And in each, each case, they were you know, you know, profoundly negative. Um, you know, the average you know, three year performance, for example, uh, of those prior uh, examples that are similar today, at least in, on, a, on a, a metric basis, was about negative 53%. Now, I, I'm the first to say, you, you know, this is no guarantee of future, but it, it does put into context that, you know, we are, you know, just another way of saying the stock market is massively overvalued and to expect future returns that resemble the rear-looking rear returns that brought us to these bu bubble peaks it would be very naive and very um, at odds with, with all of history. Um, yeah, there's another chart here that I sent you that's quite a busy chart, Adam. It's one that John Husband put together and it's actually a three-dimensional chart. So it's a little hard for, for folks maybe to understand if, if they're not conversant with, with these kinds of 3D charts. But the, the simple, uh, if one wanted to study this chart, they can go to John Hussman's latest monthly piece at hussmanfunds.com. And basically what this, this chart does is it, it quickly um, uh, disabuses the notion that uh, low interest rates mean higher returns. Um, this chart you know, very clearly shows that you know, when you have high valuations, uh, which is what the uh, S&P over the uh, highest forward operating earnings axis uh, uh, represents, uh, even if you have low interest rates, the subsequent returns have been very, very low and disappointing. Um, again, a busy chart. I don't expect folks maybe to, to but I just want to point out that the data is there um, to, to really, from a factual standpoint, disabuse the notion that low interest rates are uh, a license for an indefinite, you know, great returns uh, for, for stock investors. All right. And, uh, you know, just more data for what we were talking about earlier. Um, it, you know, it, it seems that no matter kind of what lens you look through um, when you're looking at the data, uh, it is suggesting that um, uh, you know the party continuing in equities for another two, three, four, five you know plus years here. Um, I'm not saying that it can't happen, but it seems highly unlikely uh, given what the preponderance of data is telling us. I also want to just put up one uh, tweet here. Um, that I found interesting, John, feel free to comment on it. But it's so this tweet is from Carter Braxton Worth. And he says, for the month of August, we've made 10 new intraday all time highs in the S&P. This hasn't happened in the months of August since 1987. The record number of intraday all time highs in the month of August is 11, which happened in 1929. Um, hey, you know, who knows what, if anything, is, is going to happen uh, according to this data that might or might not be similar to 1929. But but you had just mentioned in the data sets you were looking at, John. Uh, again, we're seeing similar levels of extremes that we saw at some of these key market turning points in history. Um, just curious, you have any feedback on 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 that bit of data here from uh, Carter's tweet? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, taking at face value, those are some uh, not so welcome, uh, you know, comparative points in history. The 87, that was right before, and, and valuations in 87 were way lower than where they are now, not even close. Um, and yet uh, there was a stock market pullback of, uh, I think, 22% in a single day in the crash of uh, 87. Uh, and that was after a, a pretty horrific week in the stock market uh, preceding that, that one day decline. So, uh, 
elevator drops can happen um, even from far low, lower valuations than we have today. And of course, 1929 is uh, infamous in terms of you know, uh, you know, the gate, gateway to the Great Depression and, and the massive destruction of capital that happened uh, there and, and took you know, two decades to get back to even. Um, you know, one chart I share with you, Adam, I thought it was a really interesting point, the, uh, a data point, because it's a chart of uh, Dick's Sporting Goods a company that most folks are quite familiar with. It's not a particularly sexy or, you know, um, you know, novel new company. They sell sporting goods, right? And yeah, people love sporting goods. They wear out. So they're, you know, you know, continually coming back to buy more. But take a look at this chart. This is a 20-year chart. Each one of these little bars is a, um, is a month over this 20-year history. And you can see to the right-hand side, that's, that's the latest, you know, period of time. You can see the little uh, COVID, um, you know, uh, sell-off in March of 2020. That the stock peaked in, in March of uh, uh, early 2020 at about $48 a share. Sold off down to as low as about 12 or 13. Here we are today, you know, after a pandemic, whatever, you know, things are opening back up. The stock is at $150 a share almost. Okay, almost three times where it was prior to the pandemic. Now. I get it. I get that you know sports programs were put on ice and and you know didn't happen for a year or not not in the same way. But people were still working out at home, buying you know sporting equipment, shoes to work at home. But you know the fact that this stock has tripled in uh, and and way more than that from the March low. I mean, most people at home can kind of just you know sanity check this and say there's no good reason that I mean society hasn't changed in any fundamental way to make this stock. Not only its highest price of all time, but you know, massively more valuable than it was right before the, the pandemic. This this is just a, a simple you know example, and there's dozens, if not hundreds, of examples like this that make up the stock market, which is you know making these highs. It, it's it's one story after another of crazy stocks driving a crazy market bubble even higher. Yeah, I I think Dylan had said in reference to something else, but it, it's almost sort of like a self-propagating system at this point in time. People are buying because it's going higher, right? And again, that is just the classic sort of momentum chasing that you see at the end of these, these bubble manias. Um, all right, John, well, as we wrap up here, um, let's just talk very briefly about any, any thoughts that you and the team at New Harbor has about the markets. Um, we, are, we are back again at all-time record highs in the S&P and, and I think most of the other indices there. Um, I got to give credit to David Hunter, uh, who we've had on this program a couple of times, and we've been tracking. Um, uh, folks, whether or not you agree with his predictions that he's been making over the past year, uh, they have uh, really been spot on so far. And uh, David uh, is, you know, right now very vocally predicting that we are in the, the you know, end stage of the melt-up. And he sees the, the S&P potentially going as high as uh, 5,000, maybe a little bit more, which is about 10% um, above where it is right now. Uh, and for a lot of people, that, that feels pretty hard to swallow if you don't uh, you know, believe the rationale behind today's asset prices. Uh, but of course, the other part about David's prediction is he believes once we hit that, that blow off top, uh, the market's gonna have a massive sell-off somewhere in the order of 65 to 80% decline. So you know, in David's mindset, um, uh, we're, we're seeing one last valiant ramp, uh, and then, then uh, the whole thing comes on down. Um, but anyways, John, um, what are you guys thinking right now as you're looking at the market yeah. action over the past week? Yeah, well, that, that, that you know, forecast of David, that, that's like a perfect, uh, you know, example of, uh, 
you know, kind of the dance while the music's playing kind of uh, temptation, right? Um, you know, uh, I, I, you know, we, we would be the first to admit that, you know, sure, this market can, can go higher in the short term. It's just a question of where does that get us and where does it likely, um, what happens from there? Uh, and, and what does it mean for the returns or lack thereof that clients actually get to keep? And what does that mean for their financial security, not over the next three months or six months, but over the next 20, 30, 40 years of their life? Because, you know, our clients don't get a do-over typically on these things. Um, so um, that's a conversation we can have with each and every one of our clients as to, you know, how and if they want to try to, you know, um, you know, kind of ride, ride any momentum further that might be in store for this market. But it's a very tricky one that we at least want to inform our clients with data. And, and at the end of the day, it's really easy to, to increase allocations to stocks. It's just a matter we want to be open-eyed both for us and for our clients. And, you know, I know my, my, my personal money is invested just like most of our clients. And, and uh, you know, we, 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 we think it's very careful times are, are really important. But yeah, um, you know, the fact that markets are making um, fresh all-time highs is, um, it is what it is. Um, you know, it doesn't really change, I think, anything in terms of, um, you know, where, where we likely are in the cycle. It just makes it that much more emotionally and psychologically torturous, frankly, for folks that are trying to be cautious and trying to be careful with their money. And that, that spoke, you know, uh, Dylan spoke very, very, very um, vocally about that. This is a torturous situation for folks. You know, they, they, they uh, and, and Adam, you, you made the point as well. They, they feel like they need the return. So they're being tempted into something that has gone up, but doesn't necessarily, won't continue to go up or at least won't continue to go up without then a, a massive, you know, give back on the other side. Um, so now it's time really to just be, be really open-eyed about realities of, of data and cycles. And we're here to do that for our clients and, and folks that, you know, might be looking to uh, explore a conversation with us that are, are not current, currently clients. We're, we're happy to have those conversations. Uh, that's what we do. And, um, you know, happy to kind of talk about the, the risks and rewards. And we have tools, hedging tools that we can uh, bring to the table for those clients that uh, want to kind of step a bit more into the risk category, but also want to be protected if, if uh, that move is, is ill-timed. Great, great. Yeah, I, I keep trying to think of a different analogy to use than picking up nickels in front of the steamroller, which I know is the risk that you're referring to there, John. Um, where there may still be some momentum gains to be created, but if the risk is that you know there could be a massive market correction here, you don't want to be caught unawares. Um, and uh, I don't know the the current one I'm toying with is is you know if you're at the ski mountain um, and uh, it's snowing fresh powder, um, but the avalanche risk is high. You know, do you want to try to squeeze in the last couple of good runs on that powder um, and risk getting buried by the avalanche? Or do you maybe just want to say, you know what, it's time to start the apres ski. Let me just go in the lodge, uh, get some hot chocolate, sit by the fire. Um, and I think for the vast majority of people, it probably makes the most sense. We hope you've enjoyed this important discussion, folks. Before we end here, I've got two offers you may find of interest. The first one is a bonus video clip of Dylan and me discussing what a system without central banks would look like. It's a fascinating exploration. It's just one I didn't have enough time to squeeze into this video that you're watching now. If you'd like to watch that clip right now for free, just go to wealthion.com grice. 
And the second offer is for our newer viewers. If you'd appreciate the advice of a professional financial advisor who appreciates the risks and opportunities discussed in this video, John, his partner Mike, and their team at New Harbor Financial offer free, no commitment, no strings attached consultations. They do this as a public service to help as many people position themselves prudently today for what lies ahead. If you're interested in scheduling one of those free consultations, we tell you how at the end of this video, which is coming up in about 20 seconds. So as we wrap up here, please take just a moment to like this video and then subscribe to this channel. And don't forget to watch the bonus clip with Dylan at Wealthion.com slash Grice. Thanks for watching. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth. And because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA, but for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.